Well, if you uh, missed last week, we've stopped the Gospel of John. We did the I Am sayings for the summer and the uh, great signs of the Gospel of John. And uh, I think I may return to John in Lent because that's really the rest of John is the, is the Easter story. So I think we may return to John to sort of finish it up in Lent and Easter. Uh, but for right now, I'm doing a two-part, se- two-part sermon on um, the origin story and the finale of humanity. I'm thinking about Genesis and Revelation. Uh, inspired by a friend of mine, David McDonald, in his new book, Heirs of Eden, which I read this summer. So last week we looked at the Genesis story, and we looked at it as the origin story of humanity. Okay? Like, like we kind of sidestepped all the issues of like how young the earth is and how literally we take these stories. And we said, well, what does this mean for what humans are made to be? And, uh, and so we did that. Here's a couple of big highlights because some of them are going to prove important this week as well. We said when God made the world, he made it, it was formless and void. In other words, it had no structure and it had no filling. And then what God proceeded to do was to order it and fill it. And so he took light and he made light and darkness and he separated them. And he took all the water and he made sky and water and he separated them. And he took the water and the land and he separated them. So he ordered the formless and then he filled it. So he took the sky and uh, what did he put there? Stars, the moon, the sun. Okay, and then the next day, what did he do? He, he, had, he took those two waters he had ordered, and he filled them with birds, with sea creatures and fish. And then he made the land, right? He separated the land from the water. What did he do on the, on the sixth day? Well, he filled what he had ordered on the third day. He, he put animals, livestock, all kinds of creepy things. I love, did you, I don't know if you catch that when you read Genesis. Creepy things that creep. That's what the, the Hebrew translates literally. Creepy things that creep. I don't know about you, but this fall, we've had a lot of creepy things that creep. Like spiders everywhere, a lot of bugs. I don't know what's going on. Um, so he orders and he fills and then he takes a rest. And what do you do when you rest? When you, when you rest, do you, do you just stay resting forever? No, rest implies that you're going to get back to work. Okay? You take a nap, you're going to get up, and you're going to go back out, and you're going to finish what you were resting from. And so I think the implication is that God intended to keep creating. He rested, and then he was going to get to work again. But how was he going to get to work again? Not the same way, not speaking things into existence. He made humanity. He made people. He made Adam and he made Eve. And what did he tell them to do? To subdue the earth, to be fruitful and multiply. In other words, I'm the creator. I've been doing all this ordering and I've been doing all this filling. Now I'm going to make people. And what are they going to do? They're going to go out and they're going to order and they're going to fill. And so part of what we're saying is that the work we do in this world is part of what we do because we're made in the image of God. In fact, I'm sorry to tell you this. Work is not a result of the fall. Okay, Eve in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't about not working. Okay, you had to work in the Garden of Eden. What happened was the fall cursed our labor. So there's curse now. There's toil, Genesis says, in our labor with children. That's child bearing and I think child rearing, right? And then there's also labor in the work we do. <coughs> not just that my garden doesn't want to work. But I don't want to work. I don't want to go to work, right? I don't want to get up in the morning. My back hurts. 
Okay? There's toil in the labor. So God made you to work. God made work holy. But it's hard to do. That's part of the curse. This sets up the whole rest of the Bible. Because the whole Bible is about well, what is, what's going to happen to this creation and to these ones who were God made to be the creators underneath of him, these junior creators, these humans, because they don't do the right stuff and they don't do stuff for the right reasons. It doesn't work for them. So God sets aside a people named Israel. God sends Jesus to die for these people and start to correct the work. See, this is the origin story. Now we're turning to the end of the book. So if that's the beginning, let's look at the end and see what the end tells us about the rest of the story. <clears throat> and in doing so, I may actually be tried sidestepping more debates than we did in Genesis. Okay? There's more arguing about Revelation probably than there is Genesis. And uh, I'm just going to sidestep a whole bunch of those minefields. Okay? Because when we start reading Revelation, people start wondering about seals Tribulations, dragons, beasts, the mark of the beast. When is all this going to happen? And uh, I think someday I'm going to preach Revelation, but I'm just not ready yet. Okay, I see a lot of Revelation as metaphor. I see a lot of Revelation as actually speaking about the first century and not as much about the future. But, but I do think some of it really is looking ahead to the future. I love this quote by G.K. Chesterton. He said, and though St. John saw many strange monsters in his vision, he saw no creature so wild as one of his commentators. Right? Like, yeah, he sees all these beasts, but you know what's really bad is all the people that commented on what he saw. So what we're going to do is sidestep that, and let's just imagine this is the finale. This is the end. Okay? If you've been watching a movie series, this is the end. This is how the whole thing goes. And let's see if we can look at it as an end cap, a finale to the Bible, to all of humanity, and see what it teaches us. We can read lots of it, but I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, Coming down out of heaven from God, prepare as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and he and God himself will be with them as they're gone. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, Write these, this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we got to remember that this is a vision. And so I, I don't know that he's necessarily seeing the, the future. Uh, for one thing, John sees that there are seas no more. There's no more oceans. Hey, I don't, I don't know of a lot of commentators that are talking about how in the future there's going to be no more oceans. Okay, I think this is a vision, so we've got to keep that straight. But, but I do think there's some important elements that John is seeing that we should be thinking about as our finale story. And it connects back to Genesis also. So, couple, uh, three main things. First of all, 
notice that a major part of the finale story is an emphasis on the city. The city. Now, I don't know about you. You live in Newcastle. So a lot of people in Western PA that, are, that live in little towns like Newcastle don't care that much for cities. Like we go there for a football game or something, but uh, we're not totally city people. I went to seminary, Pittsburgh Seminary, and lived in the city for three years, and that was plenty. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like the traffic. I don't like the noise. I really, I'm not a big city person. Um, as uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi says of Mose Eisley in Star Wars, you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. That's how a lot of us see cities. Scum and villainy. Okay, we don't want to go anywhere near a city. But in the Bible, there, the city is actually kind of a metaphor. Okay, if God made humans to work together, right? It's not good for us to be alone. And we're supposed to be developing in this world then in the Bible's view, a city, a true city that doesn't destroy the environment, a true city is a symbol of human cooperation. Okay, like if we're supposed to work together to make this world good, then a city is a picture of how it should be when we're all living in community and working together for good. Hey, we're being, what are we doing? We're being fruitful, we're multiplying, we're subduing the earth. We should be making great cities. What's the problem? We don't make great cities. And right from the get-go in the book of Genesis, one of the first cities we hear about is Babel. The Tower of Babel, where they're building this giant tower to themselves. And so, so the idea is cities are supposed to be good, but often they're not. And in the prophets, they are, they are really attacking cities, um, and including Jerusalem. Jerusalem becomes sometimes a symbol of, hey, this should be the greatest of cities. This is where God's presence lives why is it so abusive to people? Okay, so the idea is that the ultimate city should be a representation of human flourishing, of being fruitful and of multiplying. And it's not antithetical to nature. Listen to the, a couple of verses from the next chapter, Genesis 22. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright and as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And so this vision of the city isn't that it's not nature. Actually, John sees this city of Jerusalem coming down and it is what? Where was the tree of life before? In the garden of Eden. So what, what, what the picture is, is when, when God gets done with creation, when all things are made right, what's going to happen? Well, the Garden of Eden is going to be the new Jerusalem that comes down. There's an important concept here. It's the Greek word telos. Telos means end, fulfillment, completion, goal or aim. When Hebrews 12, 12 uses this word, it's often translated, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. So here's the idea. God made creation. And he made it good. He didn't make it perfect. He made a raw garden. And then he asked Adam and Eve to toil, to, to subdue, to multiply, and to fill. And if God is truly God, then what's got to happen in the end? Then the world that he made good has got to become 
perfect. It's got to be the way he wants it to be. And the picture of that is the city. The city where it's, it's a mix of nature and humanity. Where the world goes the full way to the telos. God's plans and God pur- God's purposes for the world, for our lives, have to be fulfilled. And so when, when John envisions what the end is going to look like, he's gonna say, he says, hey, it's going to be a city, but it's gonna also going to be the Garden of Eden. Why? Because it's got to go the whole way. And nothing, not sin, not death, not tears, not anything in this world that's wrong can be left. It's got to be made right. Part of that telos points to this, to our second important element of the finale story. It says God's dwelling place is with man. Okay, it was always God's intention to dwell with humanity. He used to go and visit the garden. He would hang out with Adam and Eve. See, a lot of us picture it the other way. A lot of us picture that when we die, we go to dwell with God. Okay, I've heard Christians say this, that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven to be with God forever. Read your Bible. Because that's not how the story ends. The story ends that heaven comes here. That God dwells here with us. I've heard Christians say, this world is not my home. Well, kind of. You are citizens of another world, but let's remember that that other world is coming here. Our allegiance, our citizenship, our loyalty is to the kingdom of heaven. But it is breaking into this world and someday it's going to burst and take over. In the last century or so, Christians have really changed their thinking about this. There was a time when Christians really were trying to get the world ready for Jesus to come back. Getting the world ready. And then what happened is in the early 1900s, the the church that had invented the first hospitals, that developed the idea of adoptions, that looked forward to developing education, what happened was we had a great war, we had a great depression, and then we had another world war. And the world started, Christians started to say, man, we're not going to fix this world. It is too broken. Let's just punch our ticket, right? Let's just get saved so we can go to heaven and be in heaven forever. And we sort of started to forget that there's a world out there that God actually cares about. Not that God just cares about, but God is coming back to that. We are coming back to that following Jesus isn't just a get into heaven free card. Okay, it's a work card. You, you are signing up to work in this world. Heaven is coming here. That means this is our home. That means what we do here is important. We don't just abandon the world for heaven. We can't just forget about what's going on in the world because we've got our ticket to heaven. No, heaven comes here. And we're looking forward to this day where God dwells with us. Isn't it hard? Sometimes I feel like God is far off. Hey, sometimes I feel like God is not dwelling with us. And when I watch the news, I feel this a lot. <laughs> Where's God? That someday it's not going to be like that. In the meantime, we are the people working to try to make it like that. This leads to the third element that is so important for how we read our finale story. It's in this phrase. God says, behold, I am making all things new. Everybody say that. Behold, I am making all things new. Now, you've got to be a little louder because the air conditioner is ready. Behold, I am making all things new. 
the word order of this is so important. Because a lot of times we live as if what God says is, Behold, I am making all new things. Do you hear the difference? If God says, Behold, I'm making all new things, then this world doesn't matter. God's just going to make heaven. He's just going to make earth. And and, uh, nothing matters because nothing lives on. But what if we actually took seriously that God says, Behold, I am making what? All things new. Which means Newcastle gets made new. Which means uh, your garden gets made new. Which means the state parks get made new. Which means life gets made new. The material of the world to come isn't new stuff. It's made new. The materials, the ideas, the cities, the people. God's going to make them new. How would you do things differently in your life if you thought about your things being eternal? Your yard is eternal. If you write a poem, it's eternal. In fact, God's going to make it even better someday. He's going to make it new. He's going to make it perfect. Sure, lots of things are broken. I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily want my body this whole eternity, right? Like an upgrade. God, can I have an upgrade? This is another thing Christians get really wrong. We tend to talk about our bodies as if the real me is inside. Have you ever heard this? The real me is inside, and this is just a shell, and someday, some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away, and I'll leave my body behind. But, but remember your origin story. Did God just make you a spirit and then put a shell on you? No, God handcrafted you from the dirt and then breathed his spirit into you. Your body, your body is one of these things that's going to be made new. Praise God, right? We all get an upgrade. <laughs> yes, we get an upgrade. You don't have to. But, but that is so important. Paul's entire ethic of sexuality is your body is eternal and what you do it and where you put it is important. Your body lasts. Your body is the temple of God. I don't know how to emphasize this more for you. Okay, your body is important. And if, if this telos is going to happen, if this perfection is going to happen and your body is broken because of sin then Jesus has to fix it, which is why the resurrection is so important. You're somehow going to get a new, fresh body, but it's still going to be your body. God handcrafted human beings out of the mud. And then the psalmist says, God knit you together in your mother's womb. You are holy. You are important. And someday you're going to be made new. So there's actually no pressure for you to make everything perfect because God's going to make it perfect someday. But there is pressure to think through how you live in this world because the things you do in this world are eternal. I mean, this look, the the finale of the human story has huge implications for how you live. Because we're living in a time where the victory of Jesus is won, but it's not yet fully claimed. God is making all things new right now. But someday he's going to break in and he's going to finish the job. We're living in what my friend Dave McDonald calls the time between times. He says, we live in a time between times where God's rule and God's reign are breaking into this world with miraculous power and demonstrations of supernatural authority. Just not always. 
there are these moments where God is breaking in and he's making things new right now. And we've got to cling to that hope and we've got to keep working towards that because someday he's going to break in and it's going to be always. It's going to be all the time. There's going to be no resistance. So this process, this fulfillment is in process. And so what you and I are called to do as people is to work, to order and to fill, to conserve and conceive, to take care of and to make new. We work for God to heal this world. And then when Jesus comes again, all things are going to be made new. And I think I said this last week, I'll say it again. You can retire from your job, but you can't retire from your image of God. That's a, that's a, a whole your life whole that's a whole life calling you were made to create listen to how nt wright describes it in his book surprised by hope that is the logic of the mission of god god's recreation of his wonderful world which has begun in the resurrection of jesus continues mysteriously as god's people live in the risen christ and in the power of the holy spirit means that what we do in Christ and by the Spirit in the present world is not wasted. It will last all the way into God's new world. In fact, it will be enhanced there. Our world lasts. Our work lasts. Heaven is our home, but heaven's going to be here. So we keep ordering, filling, subduing, being fruitful, conceiving, and conserving. We are not just passing time until Christ comes again. We are actually cooperating with each other and with God to bring in this new creation. We're supposed to make our city a piece of heaven. We're supposed to make our region a taste of the new Jerusalem. We don't do this because we think we are, we are God. We don't do this to earn God's favor, but we are invited by God to keep creating in this world until he comes and makes all things new. So this week, here's a challenge, everybody. I know this has been kind of up here, but it, it plays out in the real world. When you go to work this week, see your work as holy work. See your work as holy work. When you tend your garden, see it as a piece of Eden. When you drive around Newcastle, pray for it as a piece of the new Jerusalem that will be eternal. When you play with your grandchildren, consider how your impact on them has eternal value. When you create this week, create a business, write a book, craft a poem, write a song, paint or draw, whatever you do to create this week, think about it being part of the new creation that God's going to make perfect someday. Pause to realize that you are doing those things in the image of God and keep creating because in creating, you show the Lord's glory until he comes again to make all things right. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.